I'm going to look tonight into the Word, and I want to talk tonight about God's plans for your future. God's plans for your future. You probably have heard this scripture before. You probably heard me talk about it before, but God's plans for your future. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is a powerful, powerful statement. This was worded to the Israelites who had just gone into exile. They'd just been captive and taken to Babylon. And this was a statement that God was giving to the nation of Israel, which really applies to us today. We can look at their situation and we can draw a parallel to it, which is that even in the darkest hour, and it seems like your future is uncertain, and you don't know what's going on, and your whole world has been turned upside down, in the midst of all of that, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you. The Bible tells us that his plans were established before we even drew our first breath. And he reminds us that, hey, it's okay. Whatever's going on, I know the plans that I have for you. And they include this, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. The word plan, by definition, means an orderly arrangement of parts of an overall design or object, the form of something to be done existing in the mind. So what God is saying is that I have an overall design and an objective for your life, and I have something already in my mind for you. God has those plans for us. For I know the plans that I have for you. Who has the plans? God. God has the plans. He's the one that has the plans. If you, if you uh, talk to a builder and you just say, I want you to build me a house. And you just have all the materials there. And you said, you've got everything that you need to build this house. There's all your tools, there's all the equipment, there's every building material that you're going to need. And the builder, before he does anything, he says, where's the plans? Because I don't do anything without the plans. And many times I think that people forget that God has the plans and they just try to gung-ho and start to work. We'll just grab this and start building here and God's standing over here with the plans saying, well, let me know when you get done. Because I've got the plans. What plans does the Lord have? Number one, the verse tells us, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. The word prosper means to become strong and flourishing, to cause to succeed or thrive. God wants you to be strong. He wants you to be successful. And He wants you to thrive regardless of any past failures or mistakes. Some people take this word prosper and they say, Oh, well, God wants you to be rich. That's not what this verse means. It means He wants you to be successful wherever you are, wherever you land. How many know that success is not measured by your bank account? Mm -hmm. Success is measured how God measures it. 
And wherever you put uh, yourself and apply yourself where you know God has called you to be, that's where He wants you to be successful at. You will never prosper in God's eyes without His plans. Without His plans. 3 John 1 and 2 says this, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. The King James says, Beloved, as I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. The word translated here that all may go well literally means to have a good journey or to be led along a good road. The thought here is that this will happen if we walk in the truth of God's revelation as we live under the abundant life that Jesus said He came to give. How many know that Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The devil comes to kill, steal, and to destroy, but I have come so that they, talking about those who believe in Jesus Christ, that they would have abundant life. Life to the full. How many know you can have a full life? Amen. And not be well known. Not be popular, not be famous. That's okay. We don't have to be those things. All we have to be is successful in God's eyes and prosper in His eyes. Even when our souls may be getting along well, this does not exempt us from the difficulties in the other areas of our lives. So we can think, man, things are just humming right along. I love God. Jesus is great, and, and I just feel on top of the world. And then all of a sudden, this Mack truck comes along and just like slams everything and turns everything upside down. And it doesn't mean that our soul's still not prospering. It just means that the circumstances are quite different than they were a short time before. Those things should not make our faith weak, but it should make our faith strong and plunge us deeper into our relationship with Jesus Christ in our prayer time and just really um, causing us to be nearer to the Lord. See, a problem a lot of people have is when stuff happens, they're so overcome with fear and despair and anxiety that they just don't know what to do. And, and the human instinct takes over. And how many know the human instinct is very powerful? You know? Um, it's kind of like we usually eat after church on Wednesday nights. And I told Annette on the way to church, I said, I am starving. <laughs> I mean, my tummy was rumbling and all that kind of stuff. And I think, man, I'm really hungry. But you know, right now, I don't even think about it because I'm satisfied in a different way right now. And I think many times if we, if we get our eyes off of circumstance and what things are when they're not good and we get our eyes on Jesus, then we realize the perspective and it makes a whole bunch of difference. Number two, he says in this verse, he says, in 2911, he says, plans to give you hope. There's ever a time when our world needed hope. We need hope. Hope means trust. To desire with an expectation of attainment. 
There is a hope. Um, there's a song that says, Jesus, hold my hand. I need thee every hour. And there's a line in that song that says, when I kneel in prayer, I hope to meet you there. And talking to Jesus. And it almost sounds, if you're careful, if you're not careful and you use our current thought process of what hope, how it's used, some people think, I hope to meet you there. It almost sounds like, well, it's almost like, well, Jesus, I'm going to pray, but maybe I'll encounter you and maybe I won't. I'm just kind of holding out hope that you're going to be there. No, hope in this way, it means that I'm trusting and I'm expecting you to be there. So hope is not just a meager idea of something that might happen, but hope is complete trust and an expectation that is going to be there. And he says, he says, uh, plans to give you hope, plans to give you something that you can trust in, something that you can desire and know that you can attain it. You will never have true hope without God's plans. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 through 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing, this is what it is, the appearing of the glory of, the great, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So our hope, our trust, our expectation, and this is where God gives us hope, is that we're going to see Jesus, the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That is what we put our hope in. That is what we put our trust in. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. In my New Life Study Bible, which is the Fire Bible, some of you are more familiar with it. Mine's an older version, so it's called the New Life Study Bible. It, it talks about blessed hope being from the Greek word makarion, which implies a fullness of blessing as well as God's gracious favor and the happiness of being in our new bodies that will be immortal and not subject to corruption and decay. Now, when you're young, hopefully healthy, you don't think about those things nearly as much. But as we get older and we realize that I can't do the same things physically that I once did, that I used to be able to, um, you know, touch the rim of a basketball goal. And uh, I have a few more pounds on me than I did when I did it in high school. And I could barely do it then because I have short legs and I can't jump very high. But I'd almost, okay, maybe if somebody said, I'll give you 10 bucks to do it, I might do it. But otherwise, I don't think I'm going to be jumping up and down to do it, no pun intended. But, uh, you know, it's like, I'd probably think about it. I mean, I was helping Nick and Cassie the other day and I, I, I'd been over just taking a board and, and running it along some sand on the floor and then I had this catch in my back for like four days. And I'm like, 
what's up with that? Well, it's because I'm not 20 years old anymore. But we can look forward to a time when those things really won't matter. This great hope relates to the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will occur when he comes for his bride, the blood-washed church. And we are to wait for this great moment prayerfully in faith and purity with fervent desire as a faithful and chaste bride. That's really our blessed hope. So God says he plans to give us hope. There's an expectation that one day we're going to see Jesus again. We're going to see him. And the third part of our text in 29.11 says, plans to give you a future. Plans to give you a future. Future, I know, is pretty simple for definition, but it, it means expressive of a time yet to come. Anything beyond now. Something else. God wants you to look at what is ahead, not what is behind. If he wanted us to look at what was behind, he would put eyes in the back of our heads so we could see where we've been. Now, I know that many of you say, Mom must have eyes in the back of her head because she saw yeah, she saw something that I didn't think she saw. you know. And, uh, but he didn't want us to look behind us. He wanted us to look forward. He didn't say he had plans to give, you, give the past into your hands. He said, but plans to give you a future. A future. Okay. Everything before today is a clean slate. Just pretend it's a clean slate. And we say, Lord, because now is present. And all we have is from here on, however long he decides that we should have. Uh, my former pastor, Marcus Alexander, used to say it this way. He said, yesterday is in the tomb of time. Tomorrow was in the womb of time. Today is all we have. So today, what we have to do are things that will put us in line with what God wants us to do so that we can communicate with him so that he can reveal those plans to us. How else are we going to know what to do next? And the sad thing is, is many times people will do something anyway. I've never quite understood where, where somebody, you know, I, maybe people, I, I don't say maybe, people are uncomfortable waiting. How many of you are comfortable waiting? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one. Yeah. Um, and maybe it depends on what you're waiting for. Now, you think of your favorite place to eat and your favorite meal. And they're going to say, I've given you a gift card and you're going to go wait for your favorite meal. And you go there and they say, it's going to be 30 minutes. And you're thinking, hey, that's no problem. I can feel 30 minutes. I can feel 30 minutes because I know this is the best food that I'm going to enjoy and it's, it's going to be good when I get it and best off, I don't have to pay for it. It's already provided. We know in a human way it's worth the wait. But God's plans are far more important than any natural thing, any natural food. His plans are so much higher than anything we can think up. And so 
we, we wait for Him and we do things now that are going to allow Him to reveal Himself to us. And so we said, Lord, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I got to do something even if it's wrong. No, just wait. Wait. I have, and I know God has a sense of humor. I know that He does. And I know that God's timing is different than any other timing. There's two times, two timings that I know that are completely different than regular time. Number one is hospital time. I know that for a fact. I've been in so many hospitals and so many, so many uh, situations, and they will tell you, they'll tell the patient, well, at this time we're going to do this, and at this time we're going to do that, and then at that time, most of the time, that's the intention, but it doesn't happen that way. And so things tend to move a little slower. And sometimes we get so anxious, and in our instant society, where we think, you know, I can have popcorn in a minute and a half. Maybe two minutes, depending on what kind you get. I, you know, and you're thinking, I can do that. Um, I can send a message to somebody halfway around the world and hear back from them in just seconds. And you compare that to 50 years ago. You know, Annette, when she was in, when she was young, she used to have what was called a pen pal. It's like email on paper with a stamp. There were these little things we called envelopes and you would take this little square called a stamp and you would lick it and put it on there and you would write by hand with a pen on, on, on an envelope and you would write the contents down by hand and you would go out and put it in your box and raise the flag up and then about a week later, it would get to California, and then they would read it, and they would write back, and about a week later, there'd be a reply. Can you imagine waiting a week to hear back something? Oh, that's unimaginable. Can I tell you that God's timing is different than our timing? It's different. And so we can think... Lord, there's so many things that I would love to see happen. And God's thinking, there's so many things that I want to see happen in your life. But the chronology, we just don't always know. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. I can think, Lord, we're going to... You know, the best way for this situation to be solved is this, 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 this. And God says, you know, I operate in a different world. In a different way. Let me show you. And he does something just as completely out of the box and just blows your mind. You're thinking, I never thought anything could happen like that. And that's the way he is. He amazes us. You'll never have the best future without God's plans. Who has the plans? God. God has the plans. So what he's saying, he says, my, my, what he's saying is my plans will prosper you. My plans will give you hope and my plans will give you a future. My plans will prosper you. My plans will give you hope 
My plans will give you a future. You can realize God's plans for your future today, but it takes surrender and commitment in order to be able to do that. How can you discover God's plans for your future? Well, I'm glad you asked. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how we become a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Is to not conform or yield to the pressure that we feel from to be like everybody else or to be like the culture today is to not be that way. We are to be transformed, which is what happens when we allow Christ and His Word to renew our minds that so that our vision, our values, and our plans are governed by God's revelation and His eternal truth. So we basically we're saying, I'm going to put myself in a position where I'm in the Word all the time. I'm praying all the time. I'm attending church as often as I possibly can. Those are the three things that are going to keep us focused on Jesus. That's what we're here for, is to focus on Jesus. And then he says, let me show you. So, if you're in a setting, a group setting, maybe in a, 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 an instructional setting like where you have a teacher. And the teacher says, I'm going to have something special for the one who is the most attentive here today. Oh, well, that's my cue to get my phone out, put my head down, uh, look like I'm looking around, talk to my neighbor, write down stuff, and then, you know, just, no. I'm like, that instructor just told me that whoever pays the best attention is going to get something. And I'm going to pay as close attention as I can. And I'm going to listen as intently as I can. I'm going to listen carefully. My mind just flashed back to a test that a teacher gave us in when I was in, uh, I believe it was seventh grade. And um, passed it all out. And it was a full page, like, you know, 20 or 25 questions. Instruction number one, read this whole page before beginning. Instruction number two, 
it starts the different questions all the way down, different questions, different questions. And so some people are feverishly working away and some people are about half done and there's a few that get up to put their paper on the teacher's desk because they're finished and they're thinking there's no way. How can that person have gone through 25 questions and we've only had it like three minutes, four minutes? Well, when you get down to the bottom of the page after you read the whole page before you begin, it says, now that you have read this whole page, go back and only answer questions three and four. sounds so simple but the instructions are important these are our instructions and they're meaningful or else they wouldn't be here they're inspired by the Holy Spirit this is really how we can discover God's plans for our life and for our future we test we approve and affirm his plans for our lives and it's through that time of prayer I want to challenge you that at every opportunity that you have to make a conscious decision to turn off whatever it is that distracts you from praying, distracts you from reading your Bible. So if you're, if you go to work, like um, I, 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 it takes me about 25 minutes to drive to work. And so I usually will listen to the news, the weather, hear a little bit about traffic in case there's another route I need to take, which would be hard to do now because of our state tree, the construction barrel. <laughs> but um, nevertheless, uh, if I'm not careful, I can get caught up in the news. But I've been turning it over and listening to praise and worship music or the radio that plays praise and worship music. And... Um, you know, I find myself sitting in my car when I get to work, waiting until the song's over, or just sitting there for a moment, and I'm just enjoying the presence of the Lord. Now, that's not the only time that I communicate with the Lord. That would be a, a bad thing. We need to talk to Him and have a prayer constantly on our hearts. He wants to talk to us. He has plans for our future. How important is it for you to know what God wants you to do today, tomorrow? You can walk being led by the Spirit and you can read accounts of it in the book of Acts. God spoke to somebody just right then and said, I want you to go here. How awesome would that be if the Lord just nudged you and said, I want you to do this right now. Or I want you to do this. I want you to make that phone call. I want you to connect with this person. I want you to pray for this person right now. How awesome would that be? But many times, it's difficult for God to get through because our activities are so cluttered with other things.